Good morning, everybody. I hope that you are enjoying your morning so far here at uh, Venture Church. My name is Patrick. I want to tell you about when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, there was a game that I loved to play. It was my favorite game to play. I did it all the time. I did it when I was supposed to. I did it when I wasn't supposed to. I, I did it so often that my uh, grandparents started making comments about it. Um, the game that I liked to play so much was called uh, Disassembly. And that's exactly what it sounds like it is. I had a screwdriver, or I found a screwdriver, or I stole a screwdriver. I'm not sure how it happened, but I would just find stuff and take it apart. Like, that was just, that was one of the things that I enjoyed doing. Uh, I want to tell you that I did that because I was trying to fix things that were broken, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, I would just take things apart. You know, if I got a radio controlled car, I'd play with it for a little while and say, hey, let's see how this thing works. And I'd take it apart and I'd look at all the gears and the fidgets and the cogs and the whistles and whatever's going on and get excited about it. And I would look at all that and I'd be good. So I'd take my RC car apart. I'd take my bicycle apart and it would just be in pieces in the yard. Uh, my sister's stereo, I took that apart one time. Uh, let's see what else. A vacuum cleaner. I remember taking the vacuum cleaner apart. I did that one because it wasn't working. Uh, it had a clog in the hose. So I took it completely apart. Uh, every bit a piece, uh, to the point that my, uh, my mom's dad, my poppy Joe, uh, would say, if you gave Patrick enough time, he would take an anvil apart. Uh, in fact, I think he gave me only half an hour to do it. Uh, he said he would get it done, it would take it apart. Um, and I learned a lot of things from taking stuff apart. Uh, I, in fact, that's kind of what my job is now. I take stuff apart, put them back together to fix them all the time, every day. I learned a lot by taking stuff apart. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned from playing disassembly as a child was that when things have been taken apart, they don't work anymore. When things aren't together the way they're supposed to be, they just don't work. They can't accomplish the task that they were created to perform. For the last several weeks, we've been in this teaching series, When Jesus Prayed, looking at the longest prayer that is recorded in the Bible that Jesus prayed. It's in John uh, chapter 17, and Chris has gone through, he's, he preached the other three weeks, and in those three weeks, he's talked about some fantastic things. He started off talking about the idea that the time has come, that Jesus was there on that night, and he said, it is now here. The, the fruition of things that started from the Garden of Eden are now at the pinnacle. The time has come, the time is now and how Jesus was reacting to that. And then he went on and he talked about the glory of God that Jesus has revealed in him and the way that that glory pours out onto us. And it was a, a wonderful message there. And then about the disciples and their mission. And this is the prayer that Jesus is praying through John chapter 17, going step by step, talking about what he's doing here and his mission and then how the disciples are gonna continue it. And today we're gonna complete this deep journey into John 17. We're gonna look at the last six verses and we're gonna see what we can learn from that. Uh, if you are here today and you don't have a Bible, a good readable copy of the Bible, we've got some, oh, they moved the table. There's some over there somewhere. Uh, you'll, you'll find it, I'm sure. Oh, they're on the stand now. They're not on a table anymore. That's my bad. I should have looked before I got up here. They used to be on a table. Now they're on a stand. But they're free. Uh, we want everybody to have a good readable copy of the Bible. It's, it's important to have that. Uh, you can also use your phone. The Bible app is fantastic and can get you right where you need to be. But we'll also have the scripture up on these two televisions uh, for your convenience. So let's get right in. John chapter 17. 
uh, John being one of the four gospels, one of the, the four books of the Bible that give the life and story of Jesus and, and the way he was when he was on the earth and the way he interacted with his disciples and with the other people. And so we're in John chapter 17. He's already prayed about all this other stuff. And then he says this, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And I want, I want to stop right there for just a second because did you catch the giant personal spiritual significance of what Jesus has just said? Did you see exactly how powerful it is what Jesus just prayed right here? Because he starts off, my prayer is not for them alone. The not them alone is those disciples that we talked about last week. The not them alone are the disciples that the previous five or six verses talked about where Jesus is encouraging them on their mission. He says, it's not for them alone, but for everyone who will believe in the message that they bring. Guys, that is about me and about you if you believe in the message of Jesus. Because the message that we are teaching here today, the message that I am sharing with you today, that Jesus is the one and only true son of God, that he came to this earth born of a virgin to fulfill the prophecy, that he lived life fully as a man and fully as God, that he was betrayed by his close friends, that he was crucified, died, and buried that he rose again on the third day to bring new life to us and so that we could live eternally with Jesus. That's the message that Jesus is talking about in this prayer. He says, if you believe that, then I'm praying for you. Jesus is praying for us. On the night that he is gonna be betrayed, on the night that he is gonna be taken to trial, on the night that he is gonna be just hours away from being beaten and crucified, we were on his mind. He took the energy and the time to step aside and to pray for you and for me. And I think that's pretty important. Let's see what he prayed about, though. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that beautiful? What Jesus is praying for there, he prays for us to have unity. And not just unity, oneness. He prays that we would be one just like he is one with the Father. That's what he wants for us. Complete and total unity. And this would have been really powerful to those Jewish people that were there listening to him and in that room as he was praying this because they understood that. You see, there is a prayer in the Jewish faith called the Shema. And it's the most important prayer in the Jewish faith. And it takes from some stuff from Deuteronomy and it takes some stuff from Numbers and it puts them together, but it starts off this way. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. You see, they understood the oneness of God because this prayer, the Shema, is the very first prayer that they teach to little Jewish boys and girls. It's the prayer that they're supposed to pray as soon as they wake up in the morning, the one they're supposed to pray right before they go to bed at night. It's the one that on the high holy day of Yom Kippur, that's the center of the whole day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The study that I read this week said that even if a Jew knows they're going to die, this is the last words they want to come out of their mouth. The Lord is one. And this is important and fundamental because it points to that idea of oneness, of, of unity, of the desire that God has to be unified with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and how they work and how things are going there, but also of how he wants his relationship with us to be. That he wants us to be one with him. And the early church got it. The, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, he writes it this way. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you are called according to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, one, one, one. This is what it all comes down to. This is what it's all about, is being one in God, in Christ, having unity. But what does that even mean, to be one with God? Can you, can you be one with the ultimate being, creator, sustainer of the universe? How does that even work? And I think to answer that question, we have to understand what unity is. And I wanted to understand what unity is, and I'm going to be careful real quick. Hold on, let me cover it up, my microphone. I just said, hey, Google, define unity. All right, it didn't do it. I, I just asked my phone. It told me, and it said, unity is the state of being united. And I was like, that's not very helpful. And it said, or joined as a whole. And I was like, ah, that makes more sense, which is what united means, but you can't define something using the word that's the root of the, it doesn't make any sense. But unity is about everything coming together to make one cohesive unit. It's about all of the parts and pieces, the cogs, the big wheels and the little wheels and the fiddly bits coming together to make one mechanism, to make one organism, to make one thing that has a purpose and a design and a specific function. There's a little movie coming out in a couple weeks, all right, in 11 days, a little movie coming out. You may have heard of it. It's called Avengers Endgame. Anybody excited? Yeah, I've already, I've already, I've already bought tickets for myself and my son to go to the seven o'clock show. And uh, apparently I'm not the only one that's done this because I read an article this week that said on pre-sales alone, Avengers Endgame has already broken every box office record to date on pre-sales alone. People are excited about this movie now, I was thinking about that because this is the 23rd movie. There's 22 movies that lead up to this one. And I thought, man, what if every one of those 22 movies was just the exact same movie with the exact same lines, the exact same actors, the exact same music score? Like, they didn't change anything. They just re-released it every six months. 
and it was the same movie, would we be as excited about Endgame? And I was like, no, we wouldn't because that's, that's sameness. That's sameness. What if everybody in the movie, though, just all wore the same you know, brown jumpsuit and had all the same powers and did all the same things? You know, we could even get the same actor to play all of them. We could you know, save a lot of money that way. That'd be, no, that wouldn't be awesome. That would be boring. We don't want to watch that. That doesn't seem fun or good because as a people, we thrive on diversity. We enjoy seeing people coming together from different walks and different powers and different ideas and different mindsets. Look at any story that has been any good in your life, whether it's Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or other books that aren't cool and fancy. Every one of them, has characters that are fundamentally different. Because in everything's the same, it's boring. And friends, that's what unity is. Unity is not uniformity. It's not everybody being homogenous. It's not everything being the same. It's not liking the same stuff. It's not wearing the same clothes. It's not having the same haircut. It's not dressing the same and talking the same and thinking the same. Unity is having the same goal. It's diversity coming together to accomplish a goal. That is unity. And this is what Jesus was praying for. This is what Jesus wanted for us, not for us all to be cookie cutters of the same thing, but for all of us to bring all of our parts and pieces together to form one cohesive unit that could go out and accomplish an amazing goal. And I know that this is true because if we look back at what the early church was doing and what the early church was teaching, that's exactly what they were saying. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 when the Apostle Paul's writing. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that part, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You see, my friends, that, that is unity. When the different Hearts come together with one purpose and with one design. And that's the unity that Jesus was praying for when he says, I want you to be just like the Father is in me and I am in you. Because that's how God works. God is three distinct personalities. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But they are united in one purpose, in one goal, in one mindset, in whatever the stuff God is, that's what they are, and they are one. And it blows our little Christian minds, and we find it hard to figure it out, but we don't have to because God already did. He says we are one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is through all and in all. 
And that's how God wants us to be united. That's how he wants us to be unified as one. But what does that even mean? How, how do we do that? What do we do with it once we've done it? I said unity is about diversity coming together to accomplish a goal. Well, what is the goal? What are we united for? And thankfully, Jesus has already given us that information as well. Look back at verse 23, uh, John 17. It says, want them to be I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to, to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus prays for our unity so that through us, the world will know that he was sent by the Father. Jesus prays for our unity so that we, united as one, can go out and shine the light of God into the dark places of this world. Jesus prays for our unity so that we can share that life-changing, life-giving message of exactly who Jesus truly is. But that's a little scary because that means that the unity and the ability for the people who follow Jesus Christ, the Christians and Christ followers, and the folks that call him Lord, that our unity is what proves to the world that Jesus came. Let that sink in for a second. Our ability to be one. And again, I'm talking about unity and not uniformity. This is not saying everyone has to be united and showing up at Venture Church and doing the things that we do and acting the way that we act and singing the songs that we sing and saying the things that we say and, or the world is never gonna know that Jesus came. And I'm not saying that anyone else in the world has got it 100% right and that any church or denomination or group or affiliation has the ability to say, you know what, if you don't do things just like us and you're wrong and you're gonna make the world forget that Jesus came and came from God and that he's real and true. No, what I'm, what I'm saying and what I really believe that Jesus is saying is that we need to learn how to be on the same team with other Christians that we need to learn how to live our life in a way that lifts up Christ before we get petty about what color the carpet in the church is and calls divisions and schisms. That it needs to be more about him than about the extra two minutes you gotta drive to get to the next church over. Or to get past that one denomination or that one thought or that one belief because there's only certain things that are essential, only certain things that are needed but Jesus wants us to stop fighting to be number one and to start living, joined together as one so that we can live forever and fight forever as one. Because that's what it's about. That's what unity is. There was a time that Jesus was going around. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was doing good things. And the people that were around him were going, oh my gosh, this must be him. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the chosen one. This is the Messiah. And they went to their religious leaders. They went to the Pharisees and they said, is this him? You teachers of the law, you people who have studied, is this him? And this was in the book of Matthew in chapter 12. And this is how the Pharisees replied. Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, 
They said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. They said, no, that's not the Messiah. That's not him. That's not the one that was doing all these things. He's just a demon that is trying to get fancy and be famous. Don't worry about him. But Jesus, being God, Jesus, knowing what's going on, continued this this next verse and says this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus prays for our unity so the world will know that he came from God and also so that when the world looks at us, they will see something that is standing strong, that is standing firm, that is there on the foundation, on the rock of him and his life and his grace and his peace and his love and not on the quibbles that come along with earthly living and earthly being. Jesus prays for us to be united so that we can accomplish the mission that he gave the church. To let everyone in the world know the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's great, that's good stuff, that's, that's powerful and it could stop right there, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, but wait, there's more. Because Jesus didn't just pray for what we can accomplish. He didn't just pray about the glory that he was pouring out on us. He didn't just pray for the desire for us to be with him where he is. Jesus prayed for us to be united as one for one overwhelmingly powerful reason. Because he loves us. Because he wants the world to know that he loves us. Let's finish up that chapter, John 17, 25. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You see, friends, this whole prayer, the whole of the four weeks, the whole of John chapter 17, the whole of Jesus' ministry on the earth boils down to one thought, one idea, one fantastic notion. God loves you. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? Let me say it again. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you with a love that is beyond anything. And and you know what? I don't know where you are right now today. I don't know what your personal walk with God is. If someone drug you out of bed and made you come out here today so that you could fulfill some uh, agreement that you made, some deal that's happening, and you said, all right, I don't want to go, but since you're going to let me watch the game later, I'll go. I don't know. Maybe that's you. And if it is, you know what? God loves you. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church every Sunday for the last 35 years. You've read your Bible every single day. You've done your devotions. You've taught Sunday school. You've led small groups. You've worshiped God in the car, listening to Caleb all the time. If that's true and if that's you, God loves you with the same overwhelming, powerful love. And it seems so simple. And it seems so easy. But it's probably the most important thing you could ever know. 
God loves you. When you are deep in sin so far that you can't see the light, God loves you. When you're angry and frustrated and mad, God loves you. When you're happy and joyous, God loves you. If you're depressed or tired or hungry or weak or cold or hot or poor or rich or ugly or beautiful, God loves you. Unconditionally, unequivocally, God loves you. And it's with the love that it's so huge and so giant that we can't possibly ever fathom it. God loves you so much. That you, you know what? Let me let God tell you how much he loves you. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Or 5, verse 6. I got it backwards. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still fighting against him, while we were still going away from him, while we were still making bad choices and doing bad things, Jesus said, I love you so much. that I'm willing not only to die, but to die in the worst way possible. It was just a couple of hours before Judas comes and plants that kiss on Jesus' cheek to give him over to the guards. It was just a couple of hours before Jesus sat in the garden and kneeled down and prayed so hard that he sweat blood. Just a few hours before he was taken to a trial that wasn't legal, to a high priest that wasn't the high priest, to be condemned and beaten and mocked and spit on and a crown of thorns put on his head and mashed in with rods. It was just a couple of hours before the nails were driven into his hands and his feet and that he hung on that cross, that he sat down and in his love thought about you. And he prayed for you to be unified because he knew that when things aren't put together, they just don't work. I don't know where you are today, I don't know if this is your first time here or your thousandth time here, but that would be impressive. But what I do know is that God loves you and he wants you to give it another shot. Come back another week. And I'm gonna tell you what, next week is Easter. And Easter is the number one Sunday of the entire year when your friends who don't normally go to church will come to church if you ask them. And how amazing would it be for them to come and to hear and to learn that no matter where they are, no matter who they are, that God loves them too. Let's pray.